go ahead and okay. Recording is on. Oh, there we go. Recording is on. Um, and as Pastor Rick mentioned, um, it might be helpful if you uh, mute your microphone. If if we, uh, I mean, because sometimes we get some echo, some feedback. So, um, just like evaluate that as uh, as you see fit for your device. But um, but obviously, I like interaction. So um, be ready to unmute. Um, all right, uh, let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you uh, again for the opportunity we have to come together to worship you, to, uh, to study your word. And uh, Lord, just what a privilege it is that, um, that we have this opportunity um, in spite of the, the difficulties of the circumstances we're in, Lord, that you have uh, providently provided the technology that we can do this. And Lord, I just pray that uh, um, as we uh, study the the great work of redemption and how you have applied it to us, uh, Lord, that we would just have a more clear understanding of these things, a uh, a deeper love and appreciation uh, for you and for all that you've accomplished. And Lord, that it would impact our lives and, and cause us to uh, to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which you have called us. Um, Lord, just uh, I just pray that you would be with us as we study these things. That we would um, that we would understand the the Word of God correctly, um, and Lord, just that it would permeate our lives. We pray in Christ's name, Amen. All right, so we are continuing our study on the uh, the application of redemption. Um, as usual, I want to start with just some review um i know it can be hard to remember exactly what we've covered and when so uh, the way i've been doing it is basically just telling you what we've been covering covering and um hopefully you remember what that was well enough that somebody can give me just a little summary statement of what it was so um so the first um aspect of the order of the application of redemption that we've looked at uh, was effectual calling uh, can anybody tell me what effectual calling is? Uh, it's God's calling. Uh, it, it's the calling from God uh, for us. Yep. Yep. That is correct. So that's God the Father calling us into salvation. Um, next, we had regeneration. Does anybody remember what that is? That's the idea of uh, being born again, being mm -hmm. spiritually alive. Yep, that's absolutely correct. So that's the, the new birth. Um, then we looked at repentance. What was what was repentance? It's our acknowledgement of our sin and our need for saving and then asking for forgiveness for mm -hmm. such. Yep, that's a good summary of that. And then last week we uh, we talked about faith. What is faith? You sort of broke it down into three parts of knowledge, assent, and trust. Mm -hmm. Yep, 
Yep, that's a that's a good summary. It's it's our basically uh, trusting in Christ for our salvation, and yeah, it has those those three aspects. All right, so that's where we've been so far. Um, this morning, um, we're going to look at union with Christ. Now, this is a this is a huge topic, um, and we're you know we're just barely going to scratch the surface of it, um, but uh, it has a lot of um, relation to the the application of redemption to us um so just for a a short definition um union with christ basically is is us becoming one with christ um that's just a just kind of a a simple definition there doesn't give you a whole lot of information but um but that is basically what we're talking about so we're going to delve into that some um, now, the New Testament uh, describes this amazing truth uh, in two ways. Um, there are various places that we see uh, where the scripture says that we are in Christ. That's a, a very common um, mode of expression. Uh, just as an example, we have 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, where Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So there he refers to us as being in Christ. Um, and then the other way that it speaks of this um, is Christ in us. Um, it's a less frequently used expression, but it's something that you do see in multiple places in the scripture. Um, Galatians 2.20 is, a, is an example of that. Uh, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there we see it expressed as Christ in us. Um, and then sometimes you even see um, both views, both both modes of speaking uh, combined together in a single passage. Uh, for example, 1 John 4.13 uh, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so there, John uh, just brings both ideas together, us being in Christ and Christ being uh, us being in Christ and Christ being in us. Um, so that's that's the way that scripture uses it and it that lots of things are said about union uh, with uh, Christ, but those are those are the two basic forms that it that it pops up um, as we look through the scripture. Um, now, trying to place union with Christ into a specific place in the order of salvation is very difficult, uh, particularly uh, because within the Bible the language of union with Christ is not always used in precisely the same way. What do I mean? Um, let's, let's look at a couple of examples. Um, one passage is in Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 7. Uh, there, uh, Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They, were, uh, they are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So there we see our phrase, in Christ. So here's where I'm going to start asking questions. Um, what, does the, what, is, what does this particular verse imply about being in Christ? Christ. 
Any thoughts? John 16, 7. Does it have any relation to um, to timing? Um, Paul yeah, says that. that okay. since, sorry, is that sense of you know if he had it be, if he was in Christ before him, mm -hmm. is that it wasn't something that was just always was. There was a certain point to it. Right. Yeah. So there was a point when Andronicus and Junia were in Christ. But Paul was not. Um, so you ha you have this transition um, from being in from not being in Christ to being in Christ. Um, but then you also have passages like Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses three and four. Um, there it says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ." We see it again in Christ in every uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Uh, so, what does this verse imply about being in Christ? I mean, that it was chosen before, the you know, it was predestined for us. Mm -hmm. So it implies that it was decided beforehand. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's. Um, I mean, it's speaking of us being in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, I mean, if we just think back to our, uh, our Romans 16 passage, um, we can say that uh, before God created the world, Andronicus, Junia, and Paul were all in Christ. Um, so there we see that on one hand, the Bible speaks of a period of time when um, Andronicus and Junia were in Christ, but Paul was not. But then we see before time even began that all three of them were in Christ. Um, so clearly um, we must make some difference uh, or some distinctions uh, between the uh, the way that various passages speak about union with Christ because um, we, we see it used in different ways we, if we just assume it means exactly the same thing every place that it's used then we're going to wind up with contradictions in the Bible so we, we have to we have to try to make some distinctions there um, throughout the years many students of the Bible have attempted to provide a systematic explanation of these various uses, uh, some of which are incredibly complex. Um, and we're not going to attempt to establish a definitive approach, um, but just just for convenience sake, I'm going to adopt uh, the viewpoint of Anthony Hokema uh, as a simple and straightforward perspective, even if it may not be perfectly correct. I mean, it's, it's a big topic, and I don't even know exactly how I would lay it all out, but um, I think Anthony Hokema's book, uh, his 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 perspective in um, Saved by Grace, is um, it's it's a helpful way of looking at it, and it's pretty simple. Um, so we're just going to run with that as as a, a basic framework. Okay. So um, the way he lays it out, um, he speaks in three broad categories, um, and he calls these categories first the roots of union with Christ, second 
the basis for union with Christ, and then third, actual union with Christ. So those are his three categories when he looks at um, Scripture's discussion of union with Christ. Uh, yeah, um, so the first one is the roots of union with Christ. The, uh, the second one is the basis for union with Christ. And the third one is actual union with Christ. You got that? Okay. Um, and the and the class is continuing to grow. Welcome, everyone. Um, all right. So um, we're gonna the the first two we're gonna look at um, relatively briefly uh, because it's the third one that really has application within our topic of the application of redemption. Um, so uh, so the first one, the, the roots of union with Christ, um, it really is just the passage we just looked at. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 is kind of the, that's the, that's the, main, um, the main passage that, um, that expresses this idea. Uh, and I'll just, just read it again here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So um, even in the election of God's people, uh, the father did not contemplate them apart from Christ, but in Christ. Um, so, the, you know, this again, this concept of union with Christ stretches um, all the way back to eternity past, um, where before time, God is viewing us as in Christ as he chooses us for salvation. Um, and then the in the second category is the basis for union with Christ, um, and this this category is related to the accomplishment of redemption, um, which is what we you know studied uh, last semester. So it's it's very much tied to that. Um, in particular, the idea of substitution is related to uh, union with Christ. Uh, he died for us or in place of us. Um, that's that's very much tied to. Um, the idea of union with Christ. Um, so we're looking at a couple of passages here. The first one is Matthew uh, chapter one, verse 21. Um, the angel is speaking to uh, Joseph and says that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So um, my first question there is, who is it that, that Jesus is going to save. Um, the passage is pretty clear, but just to make sure you're all still awake. <laughs> I'm sorry? His people. His people. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and does this suggest that in some way uh, they can be spoken of as being united to Christ? I mean, they're his people, right? So it would, it would seem to follow that, um, that there's at least there's some relationship there. So, um, another um, another passage, um, Colossians chapter two, um, verses eleven through fourteen. Kind of a kind of a lengthy bit here, um, but um, definitely relevant for what we're talking about. So, Colossians chapter two, verses eleven through fourteen. Uh, Paul says, "In him." Uh, also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands 
by uh, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, uh, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So um, this passage, while making multiple references to union with Christ, presents a mixture of things that happen in the life of each redeemed sinner and things that happened 2,000 years ago when Christ was crucified. So how can this be? Um, I mean, this is kind of a, an open-ended question, but just in light of what we're talking about, um, how can how can this passage just be, you know, talking about union with Christ and just weaving together these things that that happen in the life of each redeemed sinner and things that happened um, at this particular point in history? Uh, any any thoughts? Is that too daunting of a question for everyone? <laughs> I, I mean, I'll give a stab. It, it's uh, when when uh, presuming on union with Christ, when we are mm -hmm. united to him, mm -hmm. uh, those things that happened in the past are made true for us in our lives. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Jesus broke the power of sin becomes true for us mm -hmm. personally right right then the fact that he is now alive we are now alive spiritually the fact that he has paid for our sins that is now um uh, that's now uh, accomplished it well applied not accomplished mm -hmm. for us. right yeah yeah so yeah there you have you have the period of time when it's accomplished and um you know and for us individually when we are united to Christ, that's that's where it's applied. Um, but in some sense, I mean, we can we can see um, a connection with us and Christ, um, even when He is accomplishing this. Um, you know, He, um, I'm sure He very much has each of His people on His mind as He's going through this, and we can, in some sense, speak of us being united to Christ as He is hanging on the cross, even though we ourselves don't exist um, at that particular point in time. Um, but it does all come to its consummation um, at the actual um, union with Christ. Um, but, um, but again, we have, this, we have this stage where the stage of history where redemption is being accomplished and there is some sense in which we have uh, union with Christ during that. So. Um, so finally, we get to the actual union with Christ, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time. Um, this is where union with Christ specifically intersects the application of redemption. Um, and here, um, I think it'll be helpful um, to uh, to look at the uh, the Westminster Standards um, 
because they have some, you know, um, something to say on this. Um, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 66, uh, it says, what is that union which the elect have with Christ? And the answer is, the union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. So, um, I mean, obviously there's lots of stuff there, and we could spend a long time just unpacking that one answer of the, of the catechism. Uh, but specifically for... Um, um, the our purpose of looking at this in terms of the application of redemption um what aspect of uh the application of redemption does the catechism associate with union with christ should be an easy answer if you don't have it in front of you I, I'll, I'll read it again here just just uh, I, I thought about like making a PowerPoint and it just didn't happen. Sorry. So, um, so the answer is the union, which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically yet really and inseparably joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. So what have we talked about already in, um, uh, in the order in the in the order of application that comes up here in this passage effectual calling yeah it's effectual calling all right um, and then if we look at the the shorter catechism we get a, a slightly different perspective or a, a little more information maybe um, the Westminster shorter catechism question 30. Uh, says, how doth the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? And the answer is, the Spirit applieth the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. So we definitely see effectual calling come up again, but does the Shorter Catechism uh, provide any additional understanding of where union with Christ fits in the order of application? It mentions working faith in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's another aspect we've talked about is faith. Uh, now, as we've um, as we've studied through this um, and we've, you know, we've kind of put a, an order again, as I've said before, it's kind of dangerous, you know, speaking of the word order because you can get the wrong idea. But we've kind of put together an order um, and that's in some respects like a logical order. Um, so what? If you remember correctly, what goes in between effectual calling and faith? Do I remember? Maybe nobody remembers. Okay. Um, so what goes in between is regeneration. So what we talked about um, in the past, as we've laid these out together, is that, you know, God calls us um, and basically the power of that calling is the, the regeneration, the new birth that we uh, are granted. And um, 
in this you know new state that we find ourselves in um we immediately are expressing faith and repentance uh towards god um and so those are the things that kind of tie together um so um the 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 westminster standard seemed to to put union with christ in this basic area of the order of application in the in the category of effectual calling regeneration and faith in christ they don't explicitly use uh, regeneration really anywhere but um just in in the modern terms that we use this um uh that we talk about the different app uh aspects of the application of redemption this is basically where um where it puts it and um so what i want to do uh just to just to kind of bolster that idea is i want to i want to take a look at each of these three aspects that we've talked about before um and see how the bible supports the idea uh, that they are tied uh in some way to the origin of our union with christ um because um I mean, I, I think that really is the, the proper way to look at it, that, that, that these things are the, the, the aspects of the order of application that, that originate our union with Christ. And that when we look at the things that we're going to be looking at after union with Christ, uh, they, they have a different relation. They more flow from union with Christ. So let's look at some, some passages here. Um, so for effectual calling, um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, uh, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So um, we see uh, calling here, right? Uh, presumably effectual calling. Um, so what is the state that we're called into in this passage? First Corinthians one nine, a fellowship, or into the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. So fellowship with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, fellowship with God, fellowship with His Son. Um, and what can we infer about the state we were in prior to calling from this passage? Well, that we were separated and without mm -hmm. that fellowship. Yeah, yeah. So here um, we see us being called out of a state where we are not in fellowship with Christ, um, where we're separate from Christ, into a state where we are in fellowship with Christ. We are, to use the word, in union with Christ. And so this, um, this passage seems to indicate that the calling brings about the union with Christ here. Um, then to look at regeneration, um, Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses four and five, Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five, Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. So, um, so what, according to this passage, was our previous state? 
We were dead in our trespasses. Yeah, we were dead. Um, and then our new state. I'll say alive in Christ. Yeah. yeah. So again, we have a change of state. We go from being dead to being alive. And that's it's regeneration, right? That's what we talked about when we talked about regeneration. It's the, it's the new birth. It's the going from a state of spiritual death to spiritual life. Um, and so in this passage, how is that, uh, how is that new state characterized? When we're made alive. Be with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. We're made alive together with Christ. And so there we have, again, a, a, an expression of union, a, a, an expression of us being joined to Christ uh, that is here tied to the idea of regeneration. I hope all this is clear. You guys follow the line of argument I'm using, I hope. All right. And then um, to look at uh, faith and connection to um, our uh, the, basically the beginning of our union with Christ. Um, go back to a passage we looked at earlier, um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, again, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, Again, we see a transition in state, just like we have in the other passage we've looked at. So in the past, uh, Paul, was, uh, Paul was the one who was living his life, right? Uh, but now, uh, his life is Christ living in him. So that's the, the transition we see in the state that he's in. So according to this text, by what means does Paul live in this new state? It's by faith. Yeah, it's by faith, right? It's by faith that he lives in this new state. Um, another passage uh, back in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 this time, uh, verses 16 and 17. Um, and here, you know, uh, Paul is concerned for his hearers, um, and he states, uh, beginning in verse 16, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what is the, the means by which Christ dwells in our hearts? It's faith, right? So again, we see that in some way, um, faith is related to our being in union with Christ. Um, and so in some way, these three aspects of salvation, they're, they're tied to the origin of our union with Christ. Um, and so moving forward, uh, we're going to see that our union with Christ is the source and ground of the other aspects of the application of redemption. Um, so that's, that's basically why um, I chose to to put union with Christ in this particular place in our discussion of the order of salvation. Um, it's, um, 
interestingly, if you look at different treatments of it, um, you know, some people will put uh, union with Christ clear at the end of the discussion because it does relate to all of the order of application. Or some people will put it at the very beginning um, because it, you know, it is kind of the framework on which it all goes together. Um, but I think that, um, and you know, and, and, that, and that's a, you know, those are good things to to recognize for sure. Um, but I think it's also helpful to to see how it stands in a slightly different relationship to um, to calling and regeneration and faith than it does to uh, justification and sanctification and glorification and things like that. Any questions on that before we proceed? All right. Well, we're going to do just a little survey of what we're going to see going forward now. Um, not to, you know, steal from the, the discussions on those topics, but just to just to give a little bit of a look at how union with Christ specifically relates to those topics. I, I imagine that will come up as we talk about those things, but there's going to be plenty of other things to talk about with respect to the various aspects of of the application of redemption that we're going to look at that um, it's, it's good to, good to take a, a brief look here at the, the idea of how these things are related to union with Christ. So um, the, the next one we're going to look at then is justification. Um, and for that, uh, I want to look at second Corinthians five twenty one. 21, uh, certainly a very well-known passage. Uh, probably a lot of you have it memorized. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does it mean to become the righteousness of God? That's something many of you have considered before. It means uh, that uh, I, I think it means that the righteousness of God has been imputed to us. Basically, we we are we have His righteousness. We don't have a righteousness of our own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it is very much um, the idea of um, of this being a, a foreign righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and. Um, we have that righteousness. Um, uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's strong language. It's like we become the righteousness of God. And it's not, it's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. So, um, and we see here, I mean, it's like the only way we have the righteousness of God, the only way we have the righteousness of Christ is if we're united to Christ. Um, that is how it is that we become uh, the righteousness of God. Um, another passage um, along the same veins um, is a, a passage in Philippians chapter 3 um, where Paul is uh, speaking, you know, very highly of his, of his hope in Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Uh, he says, I Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So where does, where does Paul want to be found according to this passage? In Christ. In Christ, right. And what does he say that he gains by being in Christ? Uh, a righteousness that doesn't come from him, it's not his own. Right, yeah. And what does it depend on? faith yeah it depends on faith yeah depends on faith in christ um so um here again we see um that our justification our being viewed as righteous in god's sight um is all grounded in our union with christ um this also has a, an interesting um application as far as the relationship between faith and justification um i mean we're obviously we're going to talk about that when we talk about justification um and it's you know usually in protestant circles it's pretty well known you know that we're justified by faith alone that's a pretty common thing um but uh sometimes we don't necessarily always see the deeper truth there um in that how it is that faith justifies us uh, faith doesn't justify us because faith is something good in itself or because faith is something magical uh but faith justifies us because it brings us into union with christ which gives us that righteousness that we need in order to be justified so i mean faith is is really you know just the instrument that attaches us to christ um, and so really we're justified by Christ, it's by his righteousness. Uh, but when we speak of justification by faith alone, it's that faith is is the the uh, the instrument. It's the it's the thing that we do. Um, again, as we as we saw before, it's a gift of God. But it is the thing that we do uh, that brings us into union with Christ and thereby provides for our justification. Next, we have sanctification. First um, Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty. Um, there, Paul says, "And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption." So, um, here, I mean. We see righteousness come up again, so um, you know this is a, this is a passage that could also be used for justification. Um, but we see sanctification here, um, and so these are these are benefits that we receive um, as Christians. Um, why do you think that that Paul phrases it the way he does? He says that he became to us these things rather than he gave us these things. 
I mean, he could have said, you know, uh, that that Christ Jesus gave us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But he says that um, that that Christ Jesus became these things to us. What's the significance of that? Uh, he became them, meaning he. I, it was uh, he. He had to sacrifice himself in order for us to gain those things. So he uh, became those things so that we could be uh, sanctified and uh, so, or so that we could be. Uh, sorry, no, you're fine. Uh, but basically, he he became those things so that we could have. Uh, uh, Ah, I'm blanking now. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Well, if you, I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, Christ. I mean, these are these are these are things that are you know basically true of Christ and of His work. Um, you know, I mean, He is righteous. He is holy, um, and um, He provides redemption, and He is wisdom. Um, but. If we are in Christ, if we are united to Christ, we partake of everything that is his. And so these are things that he possesses, either in his nature or because of his work. And when we are united to Christ, uh, we receive these benefits because of our union with Christ. So we get, um, you know, all the benefits of, of who Christ is and what he's done because we are united to him. Yeah, I think it's this passage makes a really important point, and I think it's kind of stated already. But the fact that he becomes these things we, um, when we're studying the Ordo Salutis or the application of a redemption or any of these things, we're just thinking about our salvation. We can be thinking like we need to get these things. Mm -hmm. We need to get sanctification. We need to get justification. We need to get adoption. All these different benefits, but no, God doesn't give us those things. He gives us Christ. Mm -hmm. And then Christ becomes all these things for us. Um, there is no partitioning out, separating. He gives us He gives us his son. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. That is um, kind of like the whole point of, of the whole discussion of union with Christ in the discussion of application of redemption is it, it does all focus on that, that um, all of these things are ours in Christ. Um, and so union with Christ is very central to the application of redemption to us. Um, now, um, when we discuss justification and sanctification, um, uh, we're going to talk about their relationship and order uh, but one mistake that is sometimes made um, is that uh, when people think, uh, well, so sometimes people think that because justification precedes sanctification, which I'm assuming you guys are all familiar with, you know, that idea, you know, justification precedes sanctification. We're going to, you know, again, talk about it in um, in detail further. But sometimes people will be aware of that truth and they will think that then well, justification causes sanctification. And that's, a, I mean, that's a pretty easy uh, slip up to make there. 
but it's important to understand that justification and sanctification are both the result of union with Christ, and neither has a causal relationship to the other. So, um, yes, we are justified at a particular point in time, and then we are continuously sanctified afterwards. Um, and, you know, we're basically not sanctified at all at the moment we're justified. Um, and as we're being sanctified, we're not being any more justified. So there's, you know, all sorts of clear distinction and temporal order and logical order between them. But we need to make sure that we don't put a causal order between those and say, okay, um, I'm justified. I'm righteous in Christ. And the result of that is that I become increasingly sanctified in practice in my life. Um, the reality is, is that both of those benefits, justification and sanctification, spring from union with Christ. It is our connection to Christ um, that, um, that causes both of these things. They don't, they don't have any causal relationship to each other. And I'm sure that when we look at um, sanctification, uh, we're going to see that even more because that's, that is really the way that sanctification is spoken of in Scripture. Um, is much more in terms of uh, our being united to Christ uh, than in terms of, well, you've been justified, therefore you um, you should be being sanctified. Um, the next item on the list, and we're not gonna we're not gonna hit every one of the um, the items in the application of redemption, but this is just kind of a you know hit some highlights um, of some of the major ones. Um, and show their connection to union with Christ. Um, so the next one we're going to look at is uh, is perseverance. Um, just the idea that um, those who are saved will persevere to the end; that God will God will keep them, and they will continue to uh, be faithful uh, throughout their lives. Um, so again, another very well known passage: uh, Romans chapter eight, uh, verses thirty eight and thirty nine. Paul there says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, I mean, obviously lots of lots of truth here in this passage, but just just broad picture. How are we kept? from falling as we experience the struggles of this life. What does this passage tell us? It's the love of God. And it's mm -hmm. specifically, it's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, so it's, you know, Again, union with Christ. It's 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 in Christ. That's the again the theme that just permeates uh, all of these things. Um, and then finally, glorification. Um, Colossians uh, chapter three verse four. Uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, so what what is the what is the event that is being referred to here in this passage? You know, I kind of just like pulled it out of context and 
you know, didn't give you much there, but does anybody know? It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's the second coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's the second coming. So, um, and what does it mean that Christ is your life? That might be a harder one. Katie said that uh, if he's in us and with us, then uh, he's he is our life. He's our everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, we're talking about the end of the world. Some people were talking about people who have died um, through all of that. Christ is our life. It's not our own personal life. It's Christ is our life. I mean, very similar to what we see, you know, back in Galatians 2.20, where Paul speaks of, you know, the life that he lives uh, is it's that it's Christ living in him. Um, another passage um, related to this, um, also a well-known passage for other reasons, uh, is First Thessalonians chapter four, uh, verses fourteen through seventeen. Um, here, uh, Paul says, uh, "For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep." For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So here, you know, you see, um, again, another another discussion of the second coming of Christ. And obviously, um, Paul is making a distinction here between those who are um, still alive on this earth and those who have died. So how does how does Paul describe the the Christians who have who have died? What 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 terminology does he use to refer to them? They have fallen asleep. Mm -hmm. Right. He uses that terminology. And there's another there's another phrase that he uses here. It's right at the end of verse 16. Those dead in Christ. Yeah. Dead in Christ. There again, we see that idea of union with Christ. Even... For those who are dead. So um, so our union with Christ continues even after we die. Even after we die, we are still in Christ. We're the dead in Christ. Um, and then what is the promised conclusion of these events? Right there at the, at the end of verse 17. We will always be with the Lord. Yeah. So there it's um, just our, our fellowship with God just continues. Um, 
somehow I lost the last page of my notes. Fortunately, I can just hop right over here. All right. Yeah, it was it was almost uh, only one last thing, but it's it's one um, one thing that I I thought was was just uh, very helpful. Um, just in um, discussion of of union with Christ, um, John Calvin uh, in his Institutes uh, made a statement that's that's um, somewhat famous. Um, I mean, it's certainly something that people reference a lot, um, and I think it's it's very helpful in summing up all that we've looked at um, in terms of union with Christ. Um, and uh, he says, first, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human, ra human race remains useless and of no value for us. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. And so there he he's really just emphasizing that like all of salvation, all of the benefits that we have, we have in union with Christ. If we're not united to Christ, then we don't have any of these things. But if we are in Christ, then we have all of these things. Um, very much like the, the, the point that, that Ben made earlier. Um, so. Um, Union with Christ is just, it's just a very important and central aspect of how God applies redemption to us. Um, he brings us into union with Christ, and we just receive all of these benefits through him. Any final thoughts or questions? Okay, well, hopefully that means it was all super clear, not that it was all really muddy. So uh, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we, Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you uh, for the many benefits that we have in him. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would um, just continue to meditate on these truths that they would... Uh, impact our lives and lord that uh you would just cause us to, to see that that is that is where our hope lies is in christ and that we would um always just continue to cling to him to rely on him for everything um and lord just that um god you would change your people uh, through the the work of christ through um our union with him um, God, that that would be just a, a continuous transforming power in our lives. And uh, Lord, that we would continue to worship you, uh, that we would be um, truly a, a people, um, the, the bride of Christ, um, holy and blameless and bringing praise and glory and honor to your name. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you all for coming to Sunday school. Thank you. Thank you for teaching. Yep. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate yep. it. All right. See you guys later. All right. See you later.
Recording is on.